Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to this Ascension Day worship service. We are truly blessed as God's people to be able to gather together on a Thursday evening and to exalt Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And Psalm 24 calls us to worship tonight uh, with these words that do exalt uh, God's anointed King, our, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 to the end, we read, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. He is the one we worship tonight. Would you stand now to receive God's greeting tonight? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen. We begin our, our praise of Christ this evening, turning to our Trinity Psalter hymnals to number 373. 373, See the Conqueror Mounts in Triumph, a good Ascension Day hymn. 373, and we're going to sing all three of those stanzas together.
I'd like to read for us uh, an account of our Lord's ascension as it's found at the very end of Luke's gospel in uh, Luke chapter 24. Jesus has, of course, just risen from the dead. He has just begun to appear to some of uh, His followers, and now He appears to His disciples, and then we have record of His ascension into heaven. Beginning at verse 36 of Luke 24, as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. We want to bless God as well as we sing once again to Him, turning in our Trinity Psalters to number 281, Rejoice, the Lord is King. We're going to sing all five of these stanzas as we remain in our seats.
You'll find in your bulletins an Ascension Liturgy that we'd like to read responsively together tonight. It's a, a litany rather based on Psalm 47. Um, if uh, you would follow along, I will read the, the normal text. If you would read the bolded text, and then where it says all, we'll all read those words together. Our God goes up with shouts of joy. Sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. The Almighty rides in triumph. Who shouts for joy? Who blows the trumpet? Sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. The Lord has brought down death itself. The Lord has trodden the winepress of suffering. He has paid the price to rescue the lost. Sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Life, now reigns in heaven with the Father. Ascended Lord, how can we honor you enough? Ascended Lord, how can we rightly praise the victory you have won? Prepare us for that welcome day when we shall behold you in all your majesty. Prepare us for that welcome day when we shall stand before you and rejoice forever. Sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. Well, let's sing praises uh, together now, turning to number 47A in your Trinity Psalters. 47A, O clap your hands. And we're going to sing stanzas 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4, number 47A, and let's stand together to sing.
Would you join me in a time of prayer? Almighty God, although we could not ascend to your holy place on account of our sin, you are Son in the fullness of time and in humility descended to earth to save us. We rejoice that after He won our redemption, He ascended, He was lifted up to the seat of all authority and dominion at Your right hand to plead our cause before Your throne, to guarantee our place in heaven by taking our own flesh there to heaven in Him, and to rule over all of His and our enemies. We marvel at the fact that Jesus did all of this for our salvation and for the glory of Your most holy name. Help us, O Lord, to receive and to make known throughout the world this this good news that Christ Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and fill our hearts with longing expectation for His return in power and in glory to restore all things, to make all things new. We pray this in the name of Christ our King. Amen. Well, for our Scripture meditation this evening, I've chosen the, the other account of Jesus' ascension, which is found in the first chapter of Acts. If you turn there in your pew Bibles, I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Dr. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord, we we gather tonight to worship Christ, we gather to commemorate uh, an event that sadly is largely neglected in the church today. We come to celebrate uh, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, His his lifting up from earth uh, to go to the right hand of the throne of God 
uh, in the heavenly places, to take His seat of authority there. And as I said, it's really a tendency in the church today to view the ascension of Jesus as sort of an uh, unimportant uh, peripheral event in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Many might admit in the church that, oh, the ascension has some practical value, maybe. After all, Jesus had to get from earth to His Father in heaven somehow, so I guess the ascension is important in that respect. But other than that, many of us might think that the ascension of Jesus was ultimately unnecessary, not a very watershed moment in the ministry of Jesus. But as much as this doctrine has been neglected, uh, underemphasized in the church today, that has not been the case if we look at the whole history of the Christian church. Because the fact is that for most of the life of the church, the ascension of Jesus has been treasured. It's been emphasized. We think of some of the earliest Christian creeds, creeds that you and I recite on a weekly basis, creeds like the Nicene Creed and, and the Apostles' Creed. These creeds, these historic confessions of the church, they emphasize the ascension of Jesus Christ uh, almost as much as the resurrection of Jesus. They, they point out the historic and the, and the personal value and importance of Jesus' ascension. Our Heidelberg Catechism, for example, devotes no less than four questions and answers to the ascension. How much are given to the resurrection? Just one set of question and answer. Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg beautifully explains how Christ's ascension into heaven benefits us, comforts us, blesses us as believers. And so tonight, I, I want to focus our attention on just three, and there are more to be sure, but just three aspects of Jesus' ascension, His lifting up, His exaltation from earth into heaven. I want to point these out so that we can begin to grasp more so the importance, the value, the power of this event in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But I also want for us to better embrace and benefit from the glorious significance of Christ's ascension for our salvation, but also for our everyday Christian life. We're going to take our cue tonight from Acts chapter 1, which I just read, but we're going to use this as sort of a jumping off point, a diving board of sorts, uh, to look at other parts of God's Word that show us that Jesus' ascension was the fulfillment of biblical expectation and a very important aspect of Jesus' earthly ministry. Why did Jesus ascend? First, He ascended to continue His ministry, to continue His ministry. We are tempted to think that um, the ascension of Jesus signaled the end, the completion of Jesus' earthly ministry. But notice how Dr. Luke begins the book of Acts in verses 1 and 2. He writes to a friend, an acquaintance, Theophilus, and he says this, in my first book, that is the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit 
to the apostles whom he had chosen. And the, the operative word there, the word we mustn't fail to notice is began. The things that Jesus began to do. Luke says, essentially, my gospel account of Jesus' ministry on earth was just the start. It was just the first volume, just the beginning of his ministry. And now, in this sequel, in this second book, I'm writing to you about all that Jesus continued to do through his chosen apostles, through the work of the church, through the work of the Holy Spirit on earth. You see, Jesus' ascension, His going bodily into heaven, doesn't signal the end of His work, but the continuation of His work as Savior who is reconciling sinners all over the globe to God. And He's continuing His work from heaven through His people, through the operation of the Holy Spirit, just as He promised He would do while He was on earth. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14. There in John, he is beginning to tell his disciples that he is going to die. He is going to go to the cross. He's going to lay down his life uh, as the culmination of his life of suffering. And he says, he promises disciples that he would leave to prepare a place for them and that he would not leave them alone, but he would give them a helper. Remember that? He said in John 14, 16 and following, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And then, as if to answer Uh, the questions of the apostles' aching hearts, Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I imagine that the disciples, when they heard that, that comforting word from Jesus, were just a slight bit perplexed. I thought you were leaving. How can you now say you are coming to us? Wouldn't it have to be one or the other? Well, no because it is the Holy Spirit, what the Scripture calls, who the Scripture calls the Spirit of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus leaves and gives to live in each and every one of His children. By His Holy Spirit, Jesus is not absent from us for even a single moment, even though His body is presently with His Father in heaven. And that was a a marvelous and important promise that Jesus made to His apostles because it was this glorious promise that would really fuel the ministry of the apostles. After His resurrection, Jesus told His disciples in Luke 24, He said, I'm sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we know when that power was bestowed upon the early church, upon the apostles. That was Pentecost morning when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in the tongues or the languages of all the people from various nations gathered there in Jerusalem that morning. And that morning, Peter addressed the crowd with a sermon, and he explained something about Christ's ascension. 
He said that it was simply the next step in his ministry on earth by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Peter said. He said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing this morning. For the apostles, the promise of a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit to guide them in all truth was a fulfillment of an ancient promise that had been made to God's people through the prophet Joel that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. On Pentecost morning, that came true. And until Christ returns, Jesus is still speaking. And He's still working in this world, in our lives, through this church, by the Spirit of truth, through the proclamation of the gospel, to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment until He returns in judgment. And not only that, but by that same Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord, the Spirit of Christ is present with each and every one of us this very moment to transform us, to live new lives that, that reflect our King and our Savior, that reflect the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. In Romans chapter 8, we have a wonderful description of the ongoing personal work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in the lives of believers. We read in uh, Acts, or Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11, he says to the church, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Skipping down to verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So you see, brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus ascended not to end His work, but to continue His work. The powerful work of the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, which is transforming human hearts every single day, the work of the Spirit that has transformed your heart and mine, the work of the Spirit who dwells in us now to assure us that we are children of God and that we have life through Him. Jesus' work continues even as He reigns from His heavenly throne. Why did Jesus ascend? Secondly, He ascended to be enthroned as King to be enthroned as king. Jesus' ascension is His exaltation, His return to the Father. After having accomplished all that was necessary to complete our redemption, and upon arriving home to the, to the heavenly courts, 
in victory, there he is coronated. There he is crowned as the true king of heaven and earth. We confess every Sunday evening in our Apostles' Creed, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we are told there that Jesus was taken up in, in heaven in a cloud, and later Stephen, the Christian martyr in Acts 7, declares uh, as he is being killed, as be, he has been martyred for the faith, he looks and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God in power and authority and dominion. In this way, Jesus' ascension fulfills the very ancient promise, the glorious prophecy of Daniel in chapter 7, 13 through 14. In one of his night visions, Daniel sees this, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. You see, the ascension teaches us that Jesus' king kingdom, His sovereign reign over heaven and earth, cannot be destroyed. It will never pass away. It is an eternal, everlasting reign. In Revelation 3.21, we're given the vision of Jesus, the great conqueror, who sits down with His Father on His throne, where He is praised by the saints and the angels of heaven forever and ever. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15.25 that there on that throne He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see then that God's kingdom has been inaugurated. It's come to reality in a very special, a very unique way through the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus in heaven, who even now sits on heaven's throne and will one day consummate His kingdom on earth as it is already in heaven when He returns as king and judge. Now, to the world, that is a frightening idea, a frightening prospect. But to us as believers, what comfort and joy fills our hearts to know that our king is on the throne. And we need that comfort. We wonder sometimes how Christ promised to be with us always to the very end of the age, and His ascension can be jibed. How can those two things be squared? We wonder sometimes, isn't it in fact the case that He is not with us? If He's with His Father in heaven, in body, in flesh, He's not with us, right? Or perhaps He's at least less with us, less present with us than He was with His disciples during His earthly ministry. But in fact, John Calvin helps us understand that though Christ is bodily in heaven, by ascending, He now rules over all things with a power even more present than ever before. 
Listen to what Calvin says. Thus being received into heaven, his, he removed his bodily presence from our sight. We cannot see him. We cannot touch him. But not so as to leave without help believers who still have to live on earth. That's you and that's me. But he ascended to rule the world with a power even more present than before. Certainly, Calvin says, his promise to be with us to the end of the age has been fulfilled by his ascension. For as by it his body was lifted up above the heavens, so its power and effectiveness reach far beyond all bounds of heaven and earth. You see, Christ's ascension then is the fulfillment. It's the coming to fruition of Jesus' kingly promise to be with us even to the end of the age. What a comfort. Well, finally and very briefly, why did Jesus ascend? He ascended to serve as our mediator and as our high priest. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. It was throughout Jesus' whole ministry, of course, especially we think of His death and His resurrection, but it was during His entire ministry that Jesus labored. He served as our mediator, our, our go-between to secure the forgiveness of our sins, to bring about our justification, to bring about our reconciliation with the Holy God. But what we often miss, what we often do not think enough about is the fact that as part of that ministry of reconciliation, part of Him serving as our mediator, it was necessary for Him to ascend into heaven in order to serve as our high priest, as our advocate. It's, it's especially in the ascension that we learn that Jesus passed through the heavens to enter the true temple, one not made with human hands. Unlike earthly priests who had to offer sacrifices over and over again for sin, Jesus did not need to uh, suffer or offer sacrifices for his own sins, but he himself offered himself as a once for all perfect sacrifice for sin. And it's in the ascension that Jesus passes through the heavens. He passes through that, that heavenly tabernacle, that heavenly temple, and he presents his completed work of redemption to the Father, and He takes up His priestly work in heaven on our behalf. The book of Hebrews tells us that there in heaven He always lives to make intercession for us. There in heaven He hears our prayers, and He responds to our prayers with the power that is His. There in heaven he sympathizes with our weakness as one who suffered in every way as we suffer yet without sin. He identifies there from heaven with our struggles and our trials, and He promises to do for us whatever we ask 
in his name by faith. And so with such a mediator, such a high priest interceding for us in heaven on account of his ascension, we embrace the encouraging call of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a great Savior we have, and what a blessing to know His ongoing work, His kingly dominion, and His high priestly service on our behalf as our ascended and exalted King. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the glorious ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks that because He has gone up and is in heaven for us, we have no need to fear life in this world, though it is beset by many trials. Indeed, it is true that our earthly life is sometimes beset with trouble and misery, and yet in the midst of these temporary trials, we should not be astonished or preoccupied with our own circumstances. We can look to our prophet and our priest and our king who is already in heaven, and we can confess that although I am weak, there is one in heaven for me, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is powerful enough to make me stand. Although I am feeble, there in heaven for me is Jesus Christ, who is my strength. Although there is misery in my life, Jesus Christ dwells in immortal glory, and what he has will someday soon be given to me, and I will partake in all of his benefits. This world is filled with devils, to be sure, but what of it? Jesus Christ rules above, having entire control of the battle, and we need not doubt that he gives us the victory. Our life here is subject to many changes, which may cause us to lose courage, but what of it? The Son of God is our head, in whom there is no shadow due to change. We thank you for these promises, O Lord. We thank you for this confession that as Christians we have. And let us, O Lord, take confidence in Jesus and apply the benefits of his ascension to ourselves in faith. Amen. <clears throat>